This is Notable Nerds, a pro nerd report podcast where we introduce you to really cool nerds who are doing really cool things. I'm your host, Sebastian Malden, and my goal is to highlight nerdy, talented people who are killing it in the world. In each episode, we will hear their origin story, and they will impart a bit of advice and wisdom to others who might be looking to get in their industry or just learn something new. Without further ado, thank you for joining us, and now let's meet today's Notable Nerd. I'm Sebastian. I've... <laughs> Hi, Sebastian. <laughs> so it's great meeting you. I'm Sebastian. I've been, I'm, I've been a guy who's been like loving video games his whole entire life. Loves like video game podcasts. I've been ingrained in like nerd culture my entire life. I started this show because for two reasons. One is like I really loved the conversations around video games and I always wanted to be a part of that. And then two is because all the people I grew up with that I had to talk to about nerdy things, each one of us has moved on as a, as like in the sense of we all have like our own lives that we lead. And mm-hmm. I don't quite get to talk to them like about the ins and outs about a game that I'm really excited about or like an anime that like really has me like really hyped up. But so yeah. I decided I was going to be like Thanos and do it myself. So I decided <laughs> I was going to combine like my love for, for what I really liked about podcasting and then combine that with, hey, I'll do my own thing and meet other cool people who I can have these conversations with. Yeah, that's one of the best things about being in this field is you meet other people who like in your normal life, you sound crazy most of the time. Oh, for I sure. Do. Everyone <laughs> looks at you like, are you Because especially since I started my adult life working in museums, I had Mm -hmm. no idea I was going to ever actually work for anything even tangentially related to video games. And the demographic for museums is not really the demographic for video games. So anytime I would mention it to people, they'd be like, oh, (laughs) that's that's a choice. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's, I'm glad that's something you're able to do with this. I hope it's all going splendidly and you get to have all the fun. Yeah, but. it is going really well. I've so I started about two months ago in July 11th. I've released three episodes of the podcast side of things and really, I really wasn't expecting much. I was like expecting it to like just be a hobby. And then all of a sudden it started to get traction where I started to like really get to meet like really cool people such as yourself. And that's actually in the gaming industry or actually in like games media or that's actually. So I got to talk to like video game composers, video game direct, like video game composers, video game, like indie game, like 
indie game studios and indie game devs. I got to talk to a lot of different people and a lot of different sides of things. And I, it really opened me up to one, like how much actually goes into making video games. And then two, yeah. I really got to see really cool personalities and really got to put faces behind things that I actually play. And I don't know too much about the dev side of things. I suspect it's similar, but for me getting into games media, it's, it is not only a shock to see literally how much these people are doing on nothing, but how much is just, oh, that's okay. You just do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? You think there's going to be this like, okay, here's the process. This is everything worked out 100% formula. And there are some things like that, but sometimes it's, oh, try to tweet at them and see if they'll talk to you. Yeah. (laughs) and Like what? Yeah, that's crazy. I've gotten so many people to where so many cool responses, even like the people who didn't necessarily want to be on the show, like they were all nice enough to say, oh, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, wow, you're a person. Yeah, I can actually talk to you. As far as I can remember, nobody's come at me like, how dare you be talking to me? So that's always nice. Yeah, it's always fun. It's always fun. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I am I live in Texas. And so far, I've so far, like I live in Texas, I have 30, I'm 31 years old, I have a two, two year old Labradoodle. And yeah, yeah. And I my story is similar, or at least my year is similar to yours, because like, I was working in an e commerce space and e-commerce field. And I set up things for Amazon Wayfair Overstock. And and target on their websites so that's like fun oh god it was <laughs> tedious very tedious you'd think <laughs> i'd be better at building web- websites but <laughs> a lot different but anyway so i said that's what i was doing for a living and all of a sudden like my job just basically like blindsided us and told us like hey we are not going to survive like the pandemic after all so i was basically let go and i was kind of sitting around thinking of like ideas of like how one how can I utilize my time and then two what's the next step in life for me so I decided right. to create this and to create like the pro nerd report and ever since I like really got started I've been slowly gaining traction I'm like I started off with like hardly I think 30 people listened to my first episode and then yeah, yeah. so I was like what this is I was like and I was, don't get me wrong, I was excited about those right. first 30 Yeah, people. 30 is not a bad number to start with. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, really excited. And then it snowballed. Like, it's starting to snowball. It has. I got 949 people yesterday alone. So I'm nice. like, yeah. So I was like, yes, this is becoming something. So it's starting to really take off, and it's starting to really grow. And I really am excited to where it can go in the future. That's so, first of all, that's an amazing story. Second of all... That moment, because I had that moment too, where you realize like your life is not stuck, like you Mm -hmm. have literally the option to do what you want and maybe you should try it is terrifying, but at the same time freeing. real terrifying. Yeah. And you have no idea if things are going to work out and if you're making the right decision. Because my story runs somewhat similarly, but I was stupid essentially (laughs) I made very bad decisions I was working in museums and I'd been there for about 10 years and worked my way up the ladder and I was living and working in California Bay Area which is not an inexpensive place to live no (laughs) 
But where I was working full time, all benefits, I was making enough money to live. That's nothing to sneeze at. But I got to a point where I wasn't at the top of the ladder, but I could see where the ladder was going and realized that it wasn't just, I need a different job. I need a promotion. I need, if I were in this position, I would be happier. If I were doing this with this, I would be happier and realized like, no, this is it. This is what it's going to be like if I stay here. So I decided not to stay. And I applied to be an intern at Game Informer. And for some reason, they (laughs) said yes, even though I had no real professional experience. I had been writing on their news blog, which no longer exists. It was very sad when it went down um, about games that I was interested in. In college, I'd taken several chances to write very important college papers on video games and try to pass it off as academic. Mm -hmm. So that's the stuff that I submitted. So I have no idea what caught their eye but I'm very (laughs) glad I'm very glad they gave me that shot but then when it's very different when you're like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot my shot and just see what happens to when it comes back and you've got it it's oh no what do I do because I have a job that's sustaining me and my family and I have to think about everyone paying rent and and then my partner who's lovely was like you can't not do it you know you you would wonder for the rest of your life what it would be like. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, very sweet. So I, I quit my job that was a perfectly lovely, paying all the bills kind of job and moved across the country from California, lovely, sunny California to Minnesota Oof. in the fall. <laughs> oh my goodness, that sounds rough. Like It uh... was, and everyone will tell you how I do not handle cold in any way Mm -hmm. shape or form so i would just come into the office every day and just be like super bundled i would never take off my coat like no one knew if i had (laughs) arms but it turned out to be really great because that was that would be the only time that crew would be in an office with covid hitting and layoffs hitting to be able to actually be physically present and see what everyone was doing was really amazing and then internship ends and you get thrown into the freelance world because there are no jobs in games media as everybody (laughs) knows and I did that for a few years and I wrote for places like Destructoid and the indie game websites and places that would basically I was just pitching every day and hoping someone would say yes to my stuff and I got a pretty good reputation I got a a gig as a news writer for Screen Rant for a year and that was a daily gig and you start to feel a little better about where you are and then Game Informer ended up hiring and I got (laughs) what was essentially my absolute dream position as associate editor at Game Informer and I literally could not believe it I had been reading Game Informer since I was 11 or 12 years old. The people whose names were in that magazine were like celebrities to me. Oh, I get it. Yeah. One of the first times I met, or the first time I met Ben Hansen, who was at Game Informer now working for MinMax. MinMax, yeah. Doing fantastic stuff. Um, I, I was at E3 and I saw him. I was in line to play Skull and Bones what <laughs> yeah oh that's fun oh that's like funny on a whole bunch of levels that's because a like, lot of... it still hasn't come out yet and they're delayed they've delayed it and that's so unfortunate and i know mm-hmm. that the person who wrote the cover story for game informer is west lebanc is so 
excited for anything pirate. So I just, I wanted to see the, his face drop when he saw that news, but I'm also glad I didn't. But yeah, I was in line and I had been in line for two hours and it was about my time to get up. When I spotted Ben Hansen, I'm like, there was no way I'm going to pass up the opportunity to meet a game informer. So I jumped out of line to go meet him and then like quickly was like, hi, oh my gosh, fan. I said nothing intelligent. And... <laughs> And then rushed back to my spot and I actually did get a play and it's very different than what it sounds like it is now. But And then when I got hired or when I got my internship, <laughs> we had to have that moment where he's like, you look familiar. I'm like, yeah, remember that weird fan who mobbed you at E3? I'm sorry about that. That was me. That's so fun. Yeah. So it was delightful. And I love everybody at Game Informer, past and present, all the interns, past and present as well. I don't think there are any present interns. It really is a group of people who are caring and interested in each other. And a lot of them are helping me in my current endeavors, which is so oh, sweet. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. But then Game Informer is owned by GameStop. And GameStop decided to lay a bunch of us off. And my kind of perfect dream job was suddenly a Thing I didn't want to go into anymore. It was, there was a lot of resentment and a lot of anger and a lot of sadness and like just disbelief in the fact that this was supposed to be the place. And it broke my heart that these people were just suddenly, the dream is over for them. So I made the really tough decision to leave my dream job. And in so doing, inadvertently created a space for someone to come back who really appreciate. I really appreciate, and I'm really glad that was able to help somebody. And I just floated around for summer, had a nice little summer vacation. And the connections that you make, the relationships that you make when you're in like an outlet like that. I had a lot of people, Game Informer and Game Informer sort of adjacent, reaching out saying, hey, what can we do to help? What are you interested in? Here are some job offers. And I didn't really want to, my heart was still broken and I didn't want to think about it. So I, so I didn't. <laughs> and <laughs> I took some time off. I did some soul searching, thinking about what I wanted to do. And then all the mass layoffs at other outlets started happening. It and, was terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And it was just like, a domino effect of avalanches and a lot of people that I really appreciate and really enjoy in this kind of industry were losing their jobs. And I'm like, that's, if that person can't stay at the place that they love, like what absolute chance is there for me? And it pushed me towards the idea of maybe just doing it on my own. It's so um, scary though, isn't it? Yeah. It's really, it is scary, but it is at the same time, there are so many benefits to it. I, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, yeah, I could do this. I still have some people I can reach out to. Like at Game Informer, I was the indie person, even though there were people on the crew that loved indie, but I just got a real reputation for it because I basically would only pitch indie stuff. And my coworkers on, the, the podcast would throughout the year try to find little indie related titles for me as a kind of like gag running through the year. And then my second to last episode 
they Alex Van Aken, I will give him credit, came up with the indie informer. <laughs> We're oh, like, that's that cool. is it, that's so perfect. I don't know how we didn't come up with that before. So it's a kind of storm of that name and re- recognizing I could do it on my own, having still having some connections in like PR and devs and like behind the scenes stuff where I was still getting like emails of this is what's happening. This is the news. And I'm like, this is nice, but I'm not doing anything with it. Why don't I just start my own thing? And it was as soon as that hit, it was like, oh, I'm, I could actually do this. And I got up and I like, it was, I think it was a weekend and I just got up insanely early, like before the sun and just started like working on a website and getting all my ideas together and thinking about, oh, I could do all of this. I could do this kind of thing. What's happening over here? And just decided to launch it. And it was not long in between because I launched it last Monday. And I think I had started really thinking about it over the weekend. So I was literally building that website and thinking about what I was doing and reaching out to developers and different people trying to figure out what I was going to cover. Like as I was introducing the website, which I did for anyone who who doesn't know where the story's going, I did call it the Indie Informer. That's really dope. Yeah, sort of an homage to my roots at Game Informer, my love for everybody who's still there, but also a really beautiful kind of new thing that I recognized how little coverage indies can get and how tough it can be for them to get coverage of a certain level because there is a certain element of you need to be able to prove that you're getting traffic so that you can gain revenue. And that's very important for big outlets, big and small outlets. Yeah, for sure. If you come to them and say, hey, I am a solo indie dev and no one knows who I am. And here's this game. Like, maybe you could check it out. Like, you could they can try their hardest but they have to bow to what is going to get them the traffic that they need so a lot of times that means covering triple a games and i have definitely had times when even i who was trying really hard to cover the indies would have to write back to someone and be like hey good luck on your game i wish you all the best i can't do anything with this i'm so sorry and that's soul crushing too that really is yeah, because you, you'd like to believe that if you're at this big place, you have the power and you can do whatever. But it's that's a cool thing about starting up my own thing. I am not. I'm not crowdfunded. I'm not on a Patreon. I don't have to worry about the traffic coming in as a measurement of success for anything. I do want to build the channel, obviously, and make sure that people are seeing the site and the games on there are getting eyeballs so that they can get bigger followings and more people can know what's going on. But I don't have to turn people away because they're not going to generate numbers. That's a great thing. It really is. And I think that's a very noble thing, too, because like you said, like a lot of these indies don't really get the highlight and recognition that they deserve or really just work hard for because like they work insanely hard. A lot of them, yeah, a lot of them don't get crowdfunded, so they're doing everything out of their own pocket. 
or a lot right. of them, even the ones that do get crowdfunded, like they still have to live and sleep and breathe this game into existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And they do so much with so little. It's wild. Oh, for sure. I was just like, I had about three indie developers on the show last week and each one of them, all of them were solo episodes where it was just me and them. But like each one of them were talking about like the struggles that they have to do as like solo developers or a team of maybe two or three developers and how massive that like each task they have to like basically check off like 20 to 30 tasks per day just Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're on track. Yeah. And then you do all of this work and then no one hears about it. It's it's such a saturated field and you're trying so hard to get anyone to look at it, but everyone else is too. And everyone else is working very hard on their game as well. And that's got to be just the most frustrating thing when you are diving into this and no one hears about you because most people do hear about indies in the fact that like indies are on the rise they are more Mm -hmm. popular people are taking notice they are getting like nominated for things and showing up at big events and being spotlighted a lot but a lot of the time those are the indies that are like the kind of triple i indies yeah they actually get like the big backing from big developers right Mm -hmm. don't want to knock that because they worked really hard and they managed to get pitch to the right people and get that funny and they worked for that that's not something that fell into their lap either and i love covering those games and that being in that space and knowing that yeah indies are becoming a mainstream thing i love it (laughs) but i also want to make sure there's a space for smaller things that don't necessarily get a huge crowd and just in general being a self-run indie site the indie informer is me (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so it really is just up to i want to share and talk about the games i find personally interesting and that's always the fun of all of this like going back like you said from an early age being in the kind of gamer culture and being a part of this whole little society that we have going here the big fun of it is being enthusiastic is having a love and a passion for the things that you're playing and checking out and sharing that with people around you is it's really the essence of why anyone gets into the games media business yeah for sure for sure it's more so for the love of this yeah it is so I first of all, I got a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. We have we went straight into podcasting. Yeah, we did. We we really did. We really did. So I so here's what I propose. We I'm going to do this intro and then I'm just going to everything that we said so far, if you're okay with this, like I'm just going to throw towards the middle of the conversation because like that was really good conversation. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so I'm going to do the intro real quick. And then when I do editing, I will basically move the... Keep it in. Keep it in, Sebastian. Just have us do it. Just straight up. Hey, guys, we're in the middle of the show right now. Here's the intro. Okay. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, ladies and gentlemen, a very first time on the Pro Nerd Report. We are doing the intro in the middle of the show. It is completely anarchy and we love it right now. So I just I want to take a quick moment to do the intro because I really want to highlight my guest today. So 
Ladies and gentlemen, joining me today is an insanely like talented writer. She's written for Screen Rant. She's written for Destructoid and Game Informer. And now she's killing it as the CEO of the Indie Informer. <laughs> she is the one, the only. You want to introduce yourself? I'm the one, the only, the Indie Informer, Jill Grote. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> yes. So... I am super excited to have you on the show. I know we've already been doing the show, but I'm super mm-hmm. excited that you're here. And I do have one thing I have to ask you, because I have to ask this for all my first time guests. I'm so ready. for the first time you're on the show, we have a segment, a tradition here on the Pronote Report. We ha- we ready. call it, you're putting you on the spot moment. So oh, you're putting gosh. you on, on the spot moment is the same as everybody else's. What are your top five games of all time? Oh, dear. Yeah. That's that's horrific. I know. The first answer usually that I go with, because it's one of those things, right? Like games are subject to your current feelings. So like a game could, if I am in a certain mood, a certain game could be my favorite game of all time because I am feeling ready for it. Oh, for sure. But typically the answer I give for favorite game is The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Because Whoa, it's the best. Okay. <laughs> because it's the best. I like that. I like that. You came out guns blazing. I like yep. that. And anyone who wants to fight me on that can fight me on that. But, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things. I've talked about this before, and I've had a therapy session on podcasts trying to dig into why I feel that way about Majora's Mask. But it might just be that it's got kind of like a weird. It's weird. It's not a normal game. It's very bizarre. It's got. I think probably the first time that I got introduced to a time loop gameplay and I had never really thought about different structures of games before. It was always very much, you're the hero, here's the problem, here's how you fix the problem, ta-da, you did it. But what are my favorite games of all time? I have a confession and you can probably pitch this to me. Okay, I'm ready. How, how do you, how would you like pitch Majora's Mask as a, to a person who's never played it before? Because I've um, never played Majora's Mask. My first Zelda was Breath of the Wild. Wow. That's a heck of a place to start. And I am very interested. Have you ever gone back and played any of the other? No, that's the thing is I played Breath of the Wild and like I right now I have a hard time picking up my Switch. Like it is that right. like I have a PS5 and a Xbox Series X and S. And I it going back to my Switch is a, a tough challenge for me right now. It feels dated and it that it like I wish it had an SSD. Like, I just yeah. wish it had yeah. that quick load 100%. time. Yeah, it's hard. It, it, it doesn't feel, it is not this generation. No. No. And I just had one of my favorite games that's going to be on this list of top five is Tunic. Um, oh, love it. Yes. And it just came out with a PS5 and a Switch version, I believe on the 27th of last month, which everyone should go play. Please go play because it's amazing. And it's basically Zelda. <laughs> It really um, is. Oh, yeah. But I, very lovely team behind Tunic. I reached out to them and asked for a Switch version, and they were kind enough to send one over. And it's just not the same experience, which is oh, really yeah. sad because it is a game of any game that should be on the Switch. The heritage of Zelda in that game is so strong that I want it to be on a Nintendo platform. Um, I understand. It feels as, almost like a handheld experience too. 
Yes. And it should be great. There are just, and it's not bad. If that's the only place you can play it, please pick it up because it's worth it. But it's got, it's not performing at the same level as I played it first on PC. And that's hard to compare. The visuals are not quite as crisp, beautiful. And that's so much of the game as well. So it, I forgot how we got to this. I just no, wanted to we were talk talking about, about top five games of all time, and then like, uh, you brought up. But tuning. no, I do want to pitch you on Majora's Mask. Okay. Because, uh, but you said you hadn't gone back to any of the other ones. No, just Breath of the Wild. That's gonna be so hard because starting with Breath of the Wild is it's such a departure from earlier games mm-hmm. that it's almost I don't know if you will recognize the Zelda in the old Zeldas from Breath of the Wild, <laughs> if that makes sense, but. Majora's Mask is bizarre. It came out a little bit after Ocarina of Time. And while they were making it, they didn't have a lot of time to do anything really with it. So they reused all of the like assets to make this game. So the game has, from the get-go, a very bizarre feeling of deja vu. Which okay. works really well because the game itself centers around Link having saved the world is somehow off, like he, he saved the world but not for him it's a Frodo thing oh I gotcha and he travels off to go find a friend that they never specify obviously people have guessed who that might be but he finds himself in a town or in a space I guess there's more, there's a collection of places that is under threat of being annihilated by the moon <laughs> Okay. at any moment. And he is transformed immediately into a Deku scrub. Okay. Which is a sort of plant. If any of the listeners wouldn't know i'm sure everybody knows and i'm wasting my breath but is a kind of plant creature so here he's off on this journey suddenly no longer a human can't use weapons doesn't have a sword all of his stuff's gone and he's just a plant that everyone sort of hates (laughs) and the moon's gonna kill him at any second if this is not the best setup for a game i don't know what is and the basic idea is you are trying to stop the moon from annihilating you and you have three days to do this so every day when the sun rises you get that nice little memified message of dawn of the whatever day letting you know that you are running out of time and about to die and when it gets to zero the moon crushes you and it's terrifying it was one of the most horrifying things i had encountered in a game in my young years so you really don't want that to happen And eventually you get the ability to manipulate time so that you can go back in time over and over again until you can fix everything wrong with this strange world that you've found yourself in. And this particular game is so side quest heavy for that reason that you're just trying to help people that it's just about being in the world and doing things and helping people. A lot of games have that very strange problem where you're like, you have to save the world. But also someone's asked you to get a fish. 
<laughs> yeah, you know? for sure. So it, it bridges that problem very nicely in the fact that helping save the world is about helping people. So it's just this beautiful, sort of terrifying blend of great action. Of course, you've got the dungeons that Zelda's always known for and puzzles and all of the like all of the stuff that comes with a Zelda game, but it comes with this very bizarre, dark atmosphere where things are not, you're not winning. You haven't won. Things are not great until the very end when you win. <laughs> That's actually really cool. Like you sold me on this. Like yeah. I, you Go definitely sold up. me on this. Cause yeah, I, yeah, I'm one of those people who love like sci-fi type stuff. So you mentioned like a time loop, which is very similar to, what I actually considered probably my game of the year for last year, which is Deathloop. And okay. yeah, and then you also gave me like weird premises that I actually really enjoy in game because I'm a narrative person. And one of the my complaints of Skyrim is that I hate that we are the main like earth shattering, like hero saving guys mm -hmm. to basically save the world. But that game is not made for that kind of narrative. That game is made for messing around. And I it breaks my immersion a little bit. So that's mm -hmm. so the fact that this game like really you can it takes that into account it like really makes me want to play it and experience yeah. that go do it listen to the rest of the podcast but then go do it <laughs> okay okay <laughs> for sure for sure um, so what's in the what's on the what's the rest of the list rest of the list i'm gonna throw a souls game on there i don't know which one but one of the souls games is gonna be on there Okay, are we including like Sekiro in the Souls like Sekiro? List? I did not take too terribly. Okay, so I'm gonna say that's not gonna be the one that's on the list. <laughs> okay, but it could be at any given time anything from Demon Souls to Elden Ring. Like one of them is gonna be on there at all times. Gosh, how do you choose? Because most of them are gonna be things that it's like from your childhood so i want to oh, yeah. throw like a pokemon game on there but like a weird pokemon game not like a normal like i'm battling with my pokemon but like pokemon snap or pokemon stadium which is getting a release on the switch soon which is cool one so, and two right what in the pokemon like stadium? pokemon Stadium one and two something like that i just remember the one from my childhood yeah for sure <laughs> that i was i am super excited about how many is that with us four yeah. I. Oh, how do you pick? How do you not? How do you <laughs> make a decision on that? It's hard, isn't it? I'll go with. I'm going to regret this immediately. I'm going to two seconds later be like, no, actually, it's this. But I think I'm going to say Stardew Valley. Oh, that's a good one. In That's my really last position one. there. It was, it, and it continues to be just a fantastic game. I can't wait for Eric Brown's follow up. Hopefully that hits equal heights, but we will see when he is ready. And I am not interested in putting any pressure on <laughs> finishing that. So yeah, that's my list for now until 20 minutes from now when I go back and change it. That's a good list. So I have a question for you before I get to the first main topic of the show. Okay. I have a so like you mentioned a souls game and you threw out like whether it be demon souls or elder ring is elder <laughs> ring right now your game of the year it is not oh i'm interested <laughs> to hear what that is i already gushed about it it is in fact tunic that came out earlier this okay year. okay and tunic is such a delightful game not only because it has it rings so close to zelda which mm -hmm. i 
have a great affinity for. I I think it also does something amazing that I don't get to see a lot, especially as like someone whose job it is to play video games a lot of the time. It makes you it puts you in the position of playing a game for the first time again. Oh, because like, the language of it? Like yeah, I mean, a little bit. It's like you don't know what's happening. You don't know why anything's happening. The language, as you alluded to, is gibberish. So you don't have any kind of instructions on what to do. The instruction manual throws me back to a younger me in a time period where every game came with an instruction manual and you read that religiously to get all the secrets out of the game but the manual in game for tunic is also gibberish but it gives you just enough detail to point you in the right direction and it's almost it recreates the kind of awe and wonder that i had four games as a kid before I recognized, oh, okay, I see where this is going, or I understand the gist. Like, before you could guess what the twist was, or you understood mechanics from different games, move over to different games, and you're not surprised by anything. It really is just a joyful celebration of gaming, and especially that kind of gaming when you're on like the school playground and all of your friends are huddled around and talking about, oh, did you see that thing where you could do this and get through here? Or like when those internet rumors would spring up where you could like do, put this code in and something will happen. And of course they're always a lie, but you're so interested in checking out what they are Mm -hmm. that maybe you find something you weren't prepared for in a time when you couldn't look up a guide and just know everything you every single discovery was yours and you earned it like tunic does all of this and it does all of this so fantastically with absolutely beautiful graphics lovely music like a world that is so i unbelievably well developed like i can't even imagine the sort of effort it goes into this everything tying's perfectly into this little instruction manual book and not getting lost and never feeling overwhelmed but still feeling like there's real exploration to be done here it's so fantastic it really is a good game and i'm glad it's like getting to get exposed on a lot of other different platforms i want as many people as possible to actually get to experience it Right. Yeah. So it is currently, it's on PC. I believe it's still on Game Pass and it's on PlayStation 5 and 4 and Switch. Now Switch. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I am, I'm interested in it because I, I don't know if I'm going to play the Switch version though. Cause like, I don't, <laughs> I kind of want to have fond memories of my experience with it and I don't want to go backwards as far as, as far as that goes. But other than that, though, I want to ask you a question specifically on, on the Indian former. Okay. You, so you created this. I want to say, yeah, I'll, and it's really awesome what you're doing. I want to know what was the game that really inspired your love of indies? Whew, that's a good question. I'm not 100% sure. It's mm-hmm. one of those things that happens so gradually that I am not. Uh, there wasn't that one aha game moment. Oh, God. But it definitely was around the time when I was trying to figure out 
what I wanted to do. Back when I was working in museums, I went to, I've been to several E3s, but I did go to one. I remember very specifically at the E3 Coliseum when Jeff Keighley was still involved with E3. There was a panel on indie game creation or jumping into the industry as solo developers, something along those lines. And they talked about the experience of doing what you want, following your passion, all of the stuff that, you know, is that word salad. It sounds like a word salad, but like the way (laughs) that they described it was real and tactile and it had really happened for them. So it started getting my mind thinking about what I could actually be doing in life. I was definitely playing Stardew Valley around that time. And for anybody who hasn't played it, first of all, stop listening immediately and go play (laughs) and then come back and keep playing listening. But uh, the setup to that game starts with you, the player, are in a sort of cubicle farm in a big corporation, living your soulless corporate life. And you eventually have enough of it and you have this letter left over from your grandfather who passed away many years ago one assumes and you finally reach the point where life is not worth you know there has to be more to it than this and you open the letter and that's when you get the farm and you go off on this grand experience so that's just another huge indie like it's in my top like games because it was such and it Like, it wasn't the thing that pushed me, because a lot of different things were happening at that time, but it certainly did seem to be signal boosting whatever (laughs) was happening in my brain at that time. So it's a special game for that particular reason. So maybe that's the best answer I can give you, but it was certainly not the first indie I was interested in. That's a really good one. So when you created the Indian Informer, did you have, <laughs> did you know what was going to be your first major story that you wanted to cover or game that you wanted to cover? I, I knew that I wanted to do a few things. I knew I wanted to do an introduction that explained my thought process. And some of my like eagle-eyed friends had been keeping an eye on what I was doing. And I had put a link to an early version of the Indian former website up on my Twitter bio without making any to do about it and called me up and like literally called me because who calls right to, and we talked a little bit about how it looks really cool what you're doing like what are you planning on doing with it and I just went on to all of these like ideas and I wanted to build up that intro was really the first thing so people knew why I was doing it so that was number one number two was a an indie release list because most of the time that's going to be one of the most important things for people (laughs) anyone who's like an indie game fan or a video game fan in general like there are not third party sort of impartial lists of game releases in all in one place. It it doesn't really exist. You do have to go case by case. And that's especially true for indies, especially since you can miss the coverage of them pretty easily. Or maybe they announced originally they were going to 
launch at this time and then had to pivot. But that news hasn't really gotten out there. So there's no great space for gaming in general to find reliable releases all the time. Uh, so I wanted to try to do that for indies. So that was the second big factor I wanted to throw in there was hit me up with your indie game release dates. I'll put it up there. I'll link to your page or whatever so that I can keep it, keep track of what things I'm interested in that are coming out at some point. And then the third thing that I actually, like the first actual article that I wrote on the website is about Haunted Chocolatier, which is the follow-up for Eric Barone, follow-up to Stardew Valley. And I've been following this game for a while because I was lucky enough to to talk to him. <laughs> and that was a weird <laughs> moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, the person who made Stardew Valley wants to talk to me. But I was lucky enough to interview him for something unrelated to Haunted Chocolatier, which had not been announced officially yet. And he did reveal to me that he was working on two different upcoming titles, one of which he is working on solo, which is Haunted Chocolatier. Second mm -hmm. one, who knows? We'll have to see. That's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. So I follow this game very closely now because I'm very excited. First of all, because I love Stardew Valley, but second of all, because I feel like I got that scoop really early and I was very excited <laughs> about it. So I am constantly following it. And then the weekend before I launched the website, he just posted a bunch of stuff on Twitter, just basically answering questions, not even necessarily throwing new things out there. But some of the questions were while brief, very illuminating. So I'm like, oh, okay, we've got some stuff here to talk about. So my first post on the Indie Informer is just breaking down like, okay, he only said three words, but there's a lot here. Let's see what's really going on. And I'm very happy with the way that turned out. That's really cool. So I have a question for you. What? Yep. And so as an indie, I'm just going to call you an indie expert because okay. <laughs> as an indie expert, what games would you recommend people who want to get into this one to get more into that, that genre, like the indie genre? What games would you recommend that to them? Indies are so cool because there is no lack of the type of game you are interested in. I am a person who generally, generally gravitates towards cozier games, things that are just concepts that are wild and out there. And like, why would you ever think of that? Now that I've heard of it, I love it. But there are like, there are games that fit the spectrum. Like recently there was a game revealed called Retro Gadgets, which essentially allows you to be a kind of, hardware engineer and make your own little handheld gaming device and sit in your workspace and create exactly what you might have. And that's not a game for me, but I immediately recognized a couple of people in my sphere for whom that game would might be a game of the year kind of game. And that dichotomy of I personally not interested, but I might be because they made it sound really good. <laughs> <laughs> but there are people who are going to be wild about it. So 
giving people suggestions about what indie games to play is tough because my indie games are not going to be other people's. Yeah, I get that. So obviously I'm shouting out like Tunic from this year. There are, you can go up online and look at what are the best indie games ever and you should check those out too. But if you're looking for like Jill's specific games. Yeah, Jill endorsed games. Okay. I'm going to look at the ones that I've played this year. Okay. Uh, So obviously Tunic's on there. Cult of the Lamb. Love it. Love it. So great. Please play this. It is a, you play as a lamb who starts a cult. (laughs) I love the game so much. That's a good premise. Besides just having a wonderful art style and really just engaging loop. It's just a fun, it won't take you very long to play, but you, I would start playing it and then look up and it was five hours later. Oh, it's so good. I haven't been that invested into a game basically like that since Hades. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I, yeah, I would recommend that to most people. Another one I don't know if I would recommend to everyone is Immortality. Oh, another um, good one. You're dropping bombs. You I'm, are doing good. That's what I'm saying. It's a Sam Barlow joint and he's the one that did like her story and telling lies. And it's such a difficult game to explain but if you don't understand the concept of what he's done before you quote unquote play by watching clips of several movies that actually don't exist in actual life but in the in-game scenario Mm -hmm. they all were made but never released and they all starred a in-game actress called Mm -hmm. marissa marcel and your job is to go through the leftover clips and footage from these different movies and try to discover what happened to Marissa Marcel because her movies never released and no one knows what happened to her. And you just click through. It's got this really beautiful thing where you click on an object and then it'll take you to that object in another clip. And that's how you discover new clips to watch. And just unfolding things and it's again it's another one of those things where it feels like you're making your own discoveries which is really cool but it's it's wild and i can't even tell you for certain that i know what happened (laughs) (laughs) i would if someone told had made me explain the plot i'd struggle i'd really struggle i have theories about what's going on and i feel pretty confident about my theories Mm -hmm. but go play it another one from this year it's out in early access, not technically fully released, but Myth Force oh. is a very fun. It is a roguelike dungeon crawling inspired by 80s cartoons, D&D sort of game where you and a group of friends run through a dungeon and kill monsters. It's very quick and easy and a lot of fun. Also, like hand-drawn art style that and if you play the beginning intro don't skip it because it is the most like it will get caught in your head kind of song that for a couple of months after i first played it i would just start singing it but i couldn't tell anyone i had played it because i played it early and i was under embargo so i had to change the words to the song oh (laughs) that's i would just start belting out like 
whatever I was currently eating. So I'd be like, French fries, instead of saying myth force. So check that out if you get the chance. Loot River, a very Souls-esque, gritty, play your way through the world. The monster's trying to kill you everywhere. Very, like, one of my favorites. Technically, this is not an indie anymore, but I played it when it was. So Fall Guys had their new season, their (laughs) free-for-all sort of reboot, which Mm -hmm. was fantastic. And then I think I'm going to end the shout-out with Stray. Oh, such a good one. Yeah. Such a I mean, good one. just so many. I could go on about just the things I've played this year, the things that I'm excited to play for that are coming out later this year, that are coming out next year. That's part of the reason why it's important to have indie-specific coverage, because so many games come out, and they're all, like, there are so many bangers that come out that no one's heard of. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So I have a question, like... What is like your most anticipated game like of the remaining of the year? The remainder remaining of the year. year. Let me double check. The hard thing is I have an answer in my head, but I don't know if it's coming out this year. So what's today? It's October. It's October, mm-hmm. everyone. Welcome to it. <laughs> oh, okay. We have. I Okay. So it's going to be a game that I believe is coming out this year. Because they've not officially... Oh, dang it. I'm seeing all these things. I'm like, no, I want to say this one now. That are coming out later this year, but have not officially announced. (sighs) Yeah, it's a tough one. Because there are a lot of really good games still left in this year. Let me just shout out something that's coming this month. Okay. I'm very excited about the game Flat Eye. And well, I haven't heard of this one. I know. No one has. And I'm trying to get that resolved because it's such a weird game. The concept is deceitfully simple. You are playing as a person in charge of a gas station. Like you're in charge of a little gas station like convenience store. And you're trying to... Make sure that the shelves are stocked or you're bringing people up when they're coming up. But then you're, the gas station you're working for, the corporate owner of it is called, I believe, Flat Eye is where the name of the game comes from. And they're up to some stuff. So as you go, your job is to upgrade your little store. So you start Oh, that sounds putting- cool. Yeah, so you start putting things in it. One of the things that really caught my eye was like a super upgraded smart toilet so people can go to the bathroom in your store. But what people don't know is that while they're using the bathroom, the smart toilet is taking samples of their waste so that it can analyze what's going on and better send out promotions to them (laughs) oh i like this yeah and it's all and then at one point when i was playing a sort of preview build i upgraded to a surgery station because of course why not have a surgery station in your little gas station Mm -hmm. kiosk and people could just get in and have their bones fixed or whatever and there were nefarious things happening there too and then a little like ui thing would pop up and it was trying to help you 
guide humanity towards the best possible options. So they would tell you not to do things based off of, I'm going to destroy this surgery station because it will lead to humanity living longer, which is going to destroy the planet, which will ultimately end in the demise of humanity. And it's just, this is bizarre. That sounds so fun though. It is really cool. And like I talked to the developers and they had been working on it and they are, they've been working on it for a while and they'd been talking with people in the technology field for whom a lot of the conundrums that they're bringing up in their game are real concerns. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. That's yeah. Bizarre. They're sort of struggling with the, like how far is too far? At what point is technology mm-hmm. dangerous? Should privacy be a thing? Like all of these things are coming up in a game that on the surface looks like a little management sim. And it was wild because it was not on my radar, but it definitely is now. And that's coming out October 17th on PC and everyone should check it out. Oh man, I'm definitely going to have to because that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. That sounds right up my alley. So I'm so interested in this next question. I want to, I want, I'm so interested in your answer. So you <laughs> are going, so how do you determine what games you're going to play next? You have so many. Yeah. Yeah, I have so many, Sebastian. It's not even funny. Um, <laughs> so many. And every time we do something like the Steam Next Fest, which is going on right now, and I'm trying to cover all of the so many demos, you get mm-hmm. like 50 more games that you now have to play, which is not a terrible problem to have. And I'm like, so, uh, some of it is basically just what attracts me the most. Sometimes I'm trying to cover things that are appealing to a larger audience. So I want to make sure to cover those. Sometimes I'm trying to cover things that I am not, it's not my cup of tea necessarily, but are things that I know other people will love. So it's a balance, right? Yeah, it is a very strange balance because there are things that sometimes you see and you're like, I've got this and this and they're all bangers. Absolutely. And then someone else emails you and I'm like, I don't know how interested I am in this. I'll check it out and be like, oh no, now this is number one on my list. Or it'll be like, okay, I don't have time for this because I'm just one human being and trying to do all of this. <laughs> so yeah, the decision-making really, it's not, a, again, I was talking about this in the beginning, but it's not about how many views it's going to get me. It's not about if it's going to attract people or bring in revenue or whatever. It really is just a matter of, is this something I'm excited to share with other people? And if it is, then I try to share it. That's really cool. I I ask, I know people are probably interested in it. And I'm also interested in that answer on a personal level, because like, I've now have gotten to the point where devs are like, re, are hitting me up, or I'm starting to get early access to like codes and such. Mm-hmm. And I, that balance of, okay, I, this would be cool to cover because like, on my site, I do similar, I do a similar thing to where like, I highlight or review a game that I'm playing at the time. It's just, I, there's so many, there's so many. And you just, like, I got into this because I want to share more indies. So you do feel conflicted because you want to share them all. But a big, like, thing in the in this particular industry that is really hard to keep in mind is that you absolutely have to keep a part of yourself just for relaxing. Like, you do need to spend time just existing and not 
churning out content and actively keeping an eye on burnout because it's oh, yeah. so easy to push yourself too far and think, oh gosh, I have to do this and this. And I and part of what I'm trying to do with the Indian former is keep that work-life balance. I never want to get to a point where I'm like, oh no, I'm going to miss my best friend's birthday because I have to get through this review before embargo tomorrow. I'll say, okay, I did the best I could. Embargo is going to hit. I'm just going to be a little later because I don't have to worry about whether or not the Google or whatever index search engine optimization takes my content and puts it up. I'm like, that's it's a really difficult task for anybody in this industry because or anyone doing a job that is a passion also. So people out there who are thinking about jumping into covering games media or, or any kind of passion job, like don't burn the wick at both ends. It's very yeah. important. So what advice would you give to someone who's trying to get into games media? <laughs> I know you have a unique perspective on this. So yes. I'm like. Yeah, so you've seen both the best and the worst out of it, though. Yes. And the funny thing is, everyone's kind of path into this is unique. Unlike most jobs, there is no path. There is no, you go to college, you get this degree, and then you become a thing. And I have talked to several people, like when I was in Game Informer, students or people interested would reach out and I would try to talk to them. Perhaps un- helpfully. The best advice, of course, know how to write. If you're going to be a writer, like a lot of people think that games media, your job is to play games all day. And you do get to play games and that's always fun. But if you can't write about what you've experienced, there's no point. Like you, you're not going to get very far or be able to express yourself verbally in the case of anybody who wants to go into tubing or podcasting. But besides all of the like technical skills that one would need, really my advice is just be a decent person. That's just advice for life. But for this industry in particular, it's actually fairly small. And if you are just a huge jerk to people and think that you're the greatest and don't take criticism very well or pick on people that you're working with or make people feel uncomfortable, that information gets around and you're not going to be around that long. So try very hard just to be a good person. Where's the live by? Yeah. <laughs> but the yeah, there is no there's no path, but you can always go into freelancing, just jump into it and start writing people, look up websites that take pitches and send those pitches out and say, hey, I have a really great idea for a story about Elden Ring and it's unique to me and this is why you should cover it and please pay me. Oh, that's another thing is there are times when not being paid may be a good option. Currently, I am I'm not getting paid for the Indian former and that was my choice to do that. And I went in with eyes wide open on that. But don't go in thinking that's going to take you into a career okay or i guess take care of yourself like sometimes it is a strategic decision to do unpaid work yeah or I get what you paid mean. work um but always you keep your eye on 
being able to pay your bills. A lot of mm-hmm. people who get into this who are freelancing, who I respect and have been doing this for a long time, still have a day job. And there aren't a lot of jobs that pop up and the jobs that do pop up almost cyclically get laid off. It That's is unfortunate. Yeah, it's not a secure job place. So be prepared. Be very honest with yourself about what the industry is and don't go in with ideas of, oh, I'm going to play games all day and it's going to be so fun and I'm going to have a success overnight. A lot of it is you have to be skilled, you have to be a good person, and you have to just be really lucky. That's really equal parts what it is. You could be the nicest and most brilliant and best writer there ever was. And if no one ever, if you don't get your lucky break, then you're not going to make it. And you can try to like push your luck and collect luck as much as possible by trying to make inroads and create relationships and doing your own thing. But yeah, it's a lot of luck. Yeah. Thank you for all that advice. Cause that I've been, I'm sure there are plenty of people who always wondered about that, especially. Yeah. yeah, Like me, myself, I can remember listening to a game informer or IGN or GameSpot wondering how do people get into the fields like that? Because Mm -hmm. just like you were mentioning your story earlier, especially where you actually got to start to get into that industry and get, and really start to come into your own in that industry. There's a lot of people who wonder about that sort of thing. Like what, like how, what's the typical origin story like? So I think that's Mm -hmm. really helpful. Yeah. I mean, it ranges from people went to, you went to school to be a journalist and took a gaming related or art related thing specifically to go into this industry and knew exactly what they wanted and went after it and got the job. But there are also people who are like, I don't know, I was hanging around a game store and the opportunity just presented itself. Like it really is, especially in the older generation of games media, you hear that kind of story a lot where it's like, we didn't know what we were doing. My friend was trying to write some stuff and said, hey, do you want to do this? And it's getting to be a little more (sighs) diverse in the way you can get in. Yeah, diverse Mm -hmm. is a good word because it's starting to be more diverse, not only in the pathways, because most people are going to remember that they got the job because they happened to walk into this store rather than that store. So Mm -hmm. they're not going to be like, oh, if they don't have a degree in games media coverage, most people are not going to worry too much about that. But it's also getting diverse in the fact that people are starting to see themselves reflected in games media. Like when I was Mm -hmm. a kid reading Game Informer, they were all white dudes. Yeah. But then they got Kim Wallace and Elise Favez, who's looking for a job. Go ahead and hire her. She's awesome. And I was like, oh, there are women in this space. I could probably do that, which led me to writing on the Game Informer blog, which led me to applying to them when I felt like I could which all it's weird the pathways that your life takes but more people should be trying things there's no one for whom this space is closed yeah i completely understand so i have a couple of questions for you before we sign off okay these are rapid fire questions rapid fire i'm ready fire questions yeah so shoot try all right you ready i'm ready all right all right you're playing pokemon what's going to be your starter is it going to be fire grass or water Fire. Fire. Who's the best Ninja Turtle? Donatello. Oh, best superhero. Ms. Marvel. 
Oh, good one. Good one. Favorite topping on pizza? Pineapple. What? Okay. Okay. <laughs> you want to start a war today? Yeah, I'm see. starting something. I'm ready. <laughs> Come at me. I gotcha. Super Smash Brother character. Fox. Oh, good one. That's the same here. And let's see. Is Kratos or Joel the better father? This one was obvious from the get-go. Everyone should have voted Kratos. Kratos is the better father. Yeah, let's go, right? I understand. <laughs> I understand. I'm right there with you. So the last question and the last of the rapid fire questions. Okay. Here we go. This one's this one's pretty big. All right. So best game you played on Game Pass. Ooh, man, I don't have a rapid fire answer for this. Okay. I want to think of a game that I wouldn't have played otherwise. That's what I was leaning towards. Yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go as, as the blanket answer of any game that I would not otherwise have played that I was able to play because of Game Pass. Okay, okay. That's a solid, besides the pineapple one, because I'm not a pineapple <laughs> kind of guy. All the other answers, I'm like right there with you. I'm a Fox person. You, you're not going to jump on board with the pineapple. I, For one thing, like, my oh, significant other, though. my wife's allergic to pineapple. So mm. I, it's like not even a thing I can even try at this point, unless I'm like halving the pizza and I'm like, eh, that's too much of a hassle for me. But then the other point is I don't know where I would go to just be able to try it and, and where she's not with me. It's, so, you know, yeah. try it out sometime. Sneak off a little pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'll just be upset that I snuck off and got food without her. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> It'd be like, how dare you? Um, so... Jill, it's been great having you on the show. I would love to have you back anytime. Anytime you want to talk sweet, nerdy goodness about anything indies from anything nerdtacular, you are always welcome on the show. 100%. Like, I had a great time. This was a very fun podcast to jump onto. I'm glad you had a good time. I can't wait to have you back. Before you go, though, where can the good people find you? So you can check out all of my coverage at the indie informer currently i am covering all of the demos i can possibly get through in the steam next fest going on this week besides that you can check out all my work on twitter and that's at finr at f-i-n-r-u-i-n and all my stuff gets posted up there as well so feel like following me go right on ahead <laughs> everyone definitely go check her out and t definitely check out the indie informer she's doing Thank really you. cool work over there so we're going to have you back on the show any anytime you want to be on there. Before we go, I got one last question for you. Oh, no, I thought I was done. No, I have to okay. sneak in the last one here. The last question. The last one. So if Kirby absorbed you, what kind of powers would he get? Uh, knowing too much about history and not being able to talk about it with people. <laughs> okay that's a solid <laughs> one that's a solid one jill it's been great talking to you and i will talk to you soon okay have a good one all right you too bye bye hey what's up everyone thank you so much for listening to the episode i just want to remind you that you can get notable nerds every single thursday and we're going to bring you the dopest guest in the nerd community if you want to suggest a nerd that you think should be on the show or discuss topics of an episode with others join us on the pro nerd report facebook group once you're in, go ahead and provide some feedback. The link to join us in the ProNerd Report free Facebook group is in the show notes. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope to catch you every single Thursday. Holla at your boy later. Peace.